Hello, everybody, and welcome back to My Life is a Montage. It's the show where we talk about music and how it fits in our lives. My name is Keith Campbell. I'm joined, as ever, by Ian Shea Care. Ian, how are you today? Uh, considering my internet connection the last few minutes, I'm awesome to actually be on this, <laughs> be on this podcast. So, Took some trial and error, but we got there in the end. Uh, so, Ian, what have you brought to the fine people this week? So we're, you know, last week, you, your last episode, you got really, you brought out the feels. Uh, and this week I'm going to bring, we're going to go a little, uh, we're going to get worldly. And right. we are, and we are going to talk about uh, another full album. This one is Linda Ronstadt and uh, her first album of Mariachi, uh, Mariachi Standards called Canciones de Mi Padre. The album was released in November 24th of 1987. It peaked at number 42 on the Billboard 200. Its initial sales of two and a half million uh, stands stood as the biggest selling non-English language album in American record history. It's been double platinum certified. Um, won Ron at the Grammy Award for Best Mexican Mexican American Album at the 31st Grammy Awards. It's now in the Grammys Hall of Fame. Uh, I think it reached up to 10 million total sales as of around like... 2019 it it's a biggie um so this came out kind of in in a period where linda ronstadt was going to her roots and doing kind of everything that she ever grew up with um because she kind of earned the right to um she had a monster recording career to this point and you know, as this proof kind of hits, kept on coming. Uh, she said in an interview around when this album came out, you know, my grandmother would always have Puccini on the turntable. My mother had a big book of Gilbert and Sullivan propped up on the piano that she'd play. And my father would always walk around singing Mexican songs. So it was no surprise, at least to her, that, you know, she would go on during this period and record an album of Puccini, an album of Standards, and now and would join the cast of um, Pirates of Penzance on Broadway for a little bit before she came around to uh, Canciones de Mi Padre. It, the title of the album refers to a booklet published by the University of Arizona in 1946. Um, it was actually published for uh, Ron Stats' assistant, Luis Espinel, who had been an international singer in the 1920s. I was one of the only productions in the world that used the top three mariachi bands in the world. Um, so Mariachi Vargas, Mariachi Los Camparos, and Mariachi Los Galleros de Pedro Rey were the three bands that backed Linda on the album. Um, By the way, I have to say your uh, your pronunciation is uh, is quite good for a white guy. So <laughs> kudos to you. You know, the the couple of years of Spanish that I took in high school were paying off. So the, the album itself. Did you ever listen of, to it? I What's that? Had you ever listened to it? I had not before you, uh, you brought it up as uh, the topic of a, uh, of a um, episode. So I think for me and for a lot of people in my generation, Linda Ronstadt kind of falls into a black hole a little bit where mm-hmm. all I had known of her was the Mr. Plow episode of The Simpsons. Um, Damn it. Now I'm going to have the, the, the theme song <laughs> in my head all night. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, you know, for people of my generation, if we look at 
you know, especially female recording artists of the era, like there was the big hysteria around Carol Kane's tapestry a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, Stevie Nicks has huge sway over like millennials and Gen Z folks. Um, you know, Joni Mitchell has a, a huge pocket of fans of, you know, the 40 and younger set. Um, and I don't think any of us really were exposed as much to Linda Ronstadt. I think part of it is the fact that, you know, in the eighties, she kind of went off on her own thing and did, you know, went into her roots so deeply. And so that may have plowed under some of her earlier hits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She, uh, see, I, and this is where it's a subtle difference, but you know, this is where you and I just being a few years apart, uh, you really do kind of get that kind of, uh, you get that line where I, I remember seeing her on American bandstand a number of times, right. Seeing, seeing great hits and, you know, as a, as a kid, uh, and, you know, preteen and a teen, she was just, she was just great for, uh, you know, I mean, I could sing Blue Bayou all day long, you know, because, right. um, but you're right that, that late, that seventies, uh, into early eighties was all about the singer songwriter. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, she was much more oddly, she was kind of of, a, a throwback time. Right. She wasn't, she wasn't singing bubblegum pop that was just fed to her. She sang, you know, she sang great songs that were written that happened to be written or, you know, by other people. And she was just providing her interpretations of those songs. Yeah. And at the same time, like we think, you know, I I say, you know, she's probably been plowed under, but she's got huge influence in that you don't see like leading pop stars doing standards albums, you know, setting aside like, you know, Sinatra and Dee Martin and all like that ilk. Um, right. But you don't see like modern pop stars start to record standards until um, what's new. Mm-hmm. You know, she was one of the first people to do that. But the thing about being first, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the one that's remembered. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, just as like people were coming back around to tapestry, you know, when it had its big 25th, um, anniversary reissue you know I was five when Canciones de Mi Padre came out when the whole like Fleetwood Mac reunion concert happened that was like I was 14 I was more conscious of it um, yeah. you know the Dixie Chicks covering Landslide happened in like mm. my sophomore year junior year of college so yeah. you know that's you know they folks like Joni like Carly Simon, like Stevie, like, um, like, like those have that legacy of other people can pick up their songs. You right. know, Linda Ronstadt wrote three songs her entire career. Nobody, if somebody picks up a, a Linda Ronstadt song, they're picking up somebody else's song right. that's been passed forward by her. In a weird way, she has, uh, she reminds, uh, as a, I did a little bit of research on her too, because I know what I know, but I had to, you know, know a little more. And um, she feels a lot like, I know you mentioned Sinatra and Dean Martin, but she feels like Tony Bennett to me. 
Mm. Uh, yeah. A person who was kind of like unabashedly about singing, uh, about singing. Right. That was his, that was his, you know, that was his instrument. That was his, his art uh, until he got another art. But, you know, it, the, Linda Ross had, had a wonderful voice and that was, and that was enough for her. And that was enough for her in the prime of her career. Right. And unfortunately, you know, due to Parkinson's, she's been unable to sing since 2012. So Tony mm-hmm. Bennett's going to get the duets album with Lady Gaga and not Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted you to know? see the Tony Bennett and Linda Ronstadt duets album. That would have been great. Hmm. It, you know, Jack White's going to produce an album for Loretta, for Loretta Lynn, but not going to be able to work with mm-hmm. Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of sad just, you know, from her being, her being more of uh, a little bit more of my generation. I think it is sad that, you know, I I think all your points about how her legacy kind of gets plowed under a little bit are, are, are apt, but then you add in the Parkinson's and the voice loss and the inability to sing. And it just, you know, there's almost a, uh, there's almost a sadness to it that, you know, there's not going to be some kind of revival right. or some kind right. of thing like that. So, or at least not one that she can be an active participant in. Yeah. Yeah. And by no the way, did. I did not mean that uh, pun of plowed under. <laughs> that name again is Mr. Plow. It is. <laughs> <laughs> damn, damn you, Keith. Yeah. So, yeah, as I, as I was about to say before we, got off on, you know, talking about the legacy of it. Um, you know, during this period, there was some, there was some pressure from her record labels to not go down these, um, Mm -hmm. these, uh, these alleys. Um, you know, when she ended up recording what's new, uh, the chairman of Electra records at the time, you know, even visited her at her house to beg her not to do it. And, you know, tell her that she was throwing her career away. Um, you know, she had been, you know, kind of out of the pop charts doing Broadway Mm -hmm. and, you know, her big comeback is the standards record. But what she noted is, you know, you know, she was worried about, she wasn't worried. She says she wasn't worried until after they made the record and they were getting ready to go out on stage at Radio City to to kick off, you know, the grand unveiling and tour for, for the record. And, you know, then she started just like, Oh wait, people might not show up. And what she noticed after this was that it changed the types, of, you know, it was one of those things where all of a sudden the audience got expanded for her, where people were bringing their kids to the, to the concerts mm-hmm. and, you know, grandmothers and grandchildren came in, you know, and then when she did canciones, you know, the, the audience was completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've, I spoke a few episodes back about kind of, being the little mirror and finding ways to, to, for as many people as possible to catch a glimpse of you with them in the, in that mirror. And I think mm-hmm. that's one thing that she did extremely well. And, you know, even though we're not talking about her now, you know, she had a, a long and wide ranging career. Mm-hmm. I mean, you yeah. know, through the whole like late sixties to seventies kind of mellow MOR all, you know, adult alternative of its, of its day through to like this, you know, standards and, and canciones career, you know, to even again, like getting an appearance on the Simpsons when it was 
you know, at its height and one of like right. the big like pop cultural icons of the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's an incredible career to look at. Yeah, uh, and you know, like I think, uh, like I said, I think it'll be uh, it'll probably be another generation before someone you know goes back and and brings that or or you know when she uh or when she passes away i, I you know i could foresee a uh a resurgence in interest about you know just what she was and who she and what she was able to do mm. i'm i'm surprised that she doesn't have the the audience that morrissey has these days especially in the <laughs> southwest of the country you mean the you mean Moz? I but this is a total aside tangent, but I can tell you, and this relates to what we'll talk about with with Guns Gunness. But I know you know that Morrissey has like the Mexican American obsession cult. That's exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, and if anyone who listens to this, if you go and see Ant Man and the Wasp. Uh, and you see Michael, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Michael Pena doing his fast talking, you know, recap on truth serum of everything that's happened so far. And he talks about his, the one that everybody's memed about the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And they talk about his, uh, he talks about his grandma's diner where the only, where the only album, the only records that are on the the jukebox are Morrissey or as we call it, (laughs) Moz. I'm like, the thing is, if you don't know a Southern California Mexican American, that is absolutely true. <laughs> that he is, oh my God, he is revered there. I will explain the difference. Yes. Uh, Linda Ronstadt. Okay, so Morrissey is uh, your elder. Morrissey is beloved by Mexican American. Uh, more into the Chicano uh, um, millennials uh, and Gen Xers who in large part were born here uh, and grew up and grew up and, uh, you know, and he hit a note there. Linda Ronstadt is loved by our parents. Uh, Linda Cantones de mi padre is the guy who, (laughs) from a few episodes ago, the guy who sang, uh, he drives me to TJ, uh, it is his, his dad and mom and, you know, uncles and aunts and my uncles and aunts are Gonzalez de mi padre is like amazing for them. Hmm. Well, that's it too. She's only a little bit younger than they would be probably. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is, uh, it is generational, but it is, it is, there is definitely a love there. Mm. So having gone through that digression, um, why don't you tell us where this fits into your montage? Um, so this album in its entirety, uh, but especially the song, uh, Dos Arbolitos, which is two little trees. Mm. Um, remind me of my grandmother and specifically remind me around, remind me of the last time I saw her. Um, 
we got, we got together for her, uh, we got together for her hundredth birthday. And by this point, uh, she had begun to, um, the, she had dementia at this point and, uh, had begun to, you know, really have some tough times and, uh, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't going to be long. So I made an effort. I was living in New Jersey at the time and I made an effort and came out and everyone from the four, four living generations of the family were there. And, uh, we had a mariachi band there and my, my cousin Valerie sang and, and we all sang. And the thing that brought her moments of clarity in those last few years, uh, were, songs from canciones de mi padre there were other there were other standards too but the thing about this album uh with her are as you talk about where the songs came from uh the book of you know the book that from uh the 40s um that's the where linda ronstadt's family came from uh is the same general neck of the woods where my family came from in Mexico. So to clarify for everyone, this and is the Tucson area, the Sonoran, Sonoran Desert, um, just on the southern border. Yeah. So uh, where those songs come for from is the state of Sonora, which is, and my family, uh, my family, uh, that side of the family comes from a town uh, called Hecori, uh, about 180 miles south of Douglas, Arizona. Okay. And Hermosillo is the is the state capital, and it's very much this mariachi norteño music that mm-hmm. is about, uh, but also very very cowboy, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it, this brought her back, and so every time I listen to it, uh, I can see her. And I can see her singing along with Dos Arbolitos or mm-hmm. uh, the other one she loves is uh, Iandale, which is essentially a, a drinking song, <laughs> and uh, which is hilarious because she doesn't drink uh, or didn't drink. But it gets me not only because it was something that brought her a connection to her past, Mm-hmm. Um, before she came to the States in the, she came to the States in the late fifties when my mom was, uh, my mom was nine, I believe. Okay. And, um, it also connected connects with me because like Linda Ronstadt, uh, I am part, you know, part Mexican part, uh, in my case, Irish. My father was born in Ireland. Right. Uh, her parents are, you know, what is it? German English. I believe they are. And, uh, she couldn't speak, she couldn't speak a lick of Spanish. Mm-hmm. So she, she sang that not know, knowing the words, learning the lyrics and learning to sing them, but couldn't carry on a basic conversation with, anyone in Spanish. Right. And so there's a connection that I have to that as someone who, uh, I didn't learn Spanish from a young age. I learned it later on. Um, and who always kind of felt that kind of, uh, 
not, you know, growing up in Southern California, there was a lot of, I wasn't white enough to be completely white, but I wasn't brown enough to be completely Mexican. Mm-hmm. And so listening to that album uh, just brings me to this spot where it connects me to my grandmother and connects me to my history and connects me to, uh, you know, this past that we all have and, and the long roads that we all take to get where we are. And I'll never forget, you know, I'll never forget her smiling that day. Do you remember her having those songs on kind of in the background at earlier family functions or is it just kind of, uh, that's the most lasting memory? That's, that's the one that, uh, that's the one that connects with me now. Um, right. or that's the moment that it brings to me now. Um, but my uncle, my uncle Ralph, uh, at every family function. And if you've ever watched my big fat Greek wedding, just insert Mexicans. Um, <laughs> and her thing, her thing was instead of Windex curing everything, she put Vaseline on everything. <laughs> um, uh, but, but my, you know, every, every family function, no matter what it was, uh, there was always, my uncle Ralph walking around with his guitar, singing some of these songs, mm-hmm. you know, my, my cousin Valerie singing some of these songs, my, my uncle Fidel putting on a record. Um, and so, yeah, these kind of, these kind of, these were the standards that I didn't understand all the words at the time, but those were the songs that made my grandmother move. And those were the songs mm-hmm. that, um, were part of, you know, me growing up in the, and learning what it was like to be part of a, you know, a Mexican family. Very cool. Um, Sorry. I got, I'm getting, I got a little, uh, I got the feels a little bit here. So. No, it's totally understandable. I mean, it's, it's amazing that you can have that kind of through line that connects you, you know, back a good, for, that can connect, connect people a good four generations mm. and continue it forth. And the closest thing that I have in my family or my extended family is um, my uh, my wife's Jersey American family uh, or Jersey Italian family getting um, all into like this, like basically the mob hits mm-hmm. <laughs> around yeah. the Thanksgiving dinner table. Um, yeah. So, I mean, to, ha- to have something that's, not just like something somebody puts on the stereo, but also is walking around and sung. I mean, that's, that's an, that's an amazing memory to have. I'm sure. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I make my kids, uh, I have made my kids listen to these songs, uh, at various times through their childhoods and like, Oh God, dad. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't care. It's part of who you, it's part of, it's part of who you are. It's got to go to the next generation. At least no. Right. And, and, you know, uh, we lost her. God, it's eight and a half years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, they're, I mean, my mom's generation are all still with us. Uh, my generation are, you know, my oldest cousin, my oldest first cousin will be 60 next year. And, then you know we have kids, grandkids. Uh, mm. are kids, a couple of grandkids, and or kids, grandkids, and now great grandkids around. So, so is she the linchpin that everybody kind of 
gathered around or is there still no absolutely, absolutely. Gets together uh there were so there was a concern when things were going uh when things were you know starting to go downhill for her that mm. i think you know there was a concern that would this you know quadrant or corner or portion of the family all stay together and as close and as you know every holiday this is where we're going every right. you know every gathering this it's always going to be there and i think there was some concern that we would start to drift apart and i think in a weird way um while you know i'm the only one who actually left california uh and so i come when i can you know as right. much as i can but i think that the, it, in a weird way it kind of uh losing her instead of driving everyone apart allowed everyone to have the freedom to take time with their own little portion of the family if they needed mm-hmm. to but it also made us all value the time that we had together yeah um and so you know we i brought all of my kids and i brought my wife to christmas eve which was our big thing um for the first time two years ago right before covid yeah and this there's always the big year and the little year depending on you know who has to go to other relatives right yeah (laughs) (laughs) and this was the big year and so you know there were what 35 40 people and uh for for christmas eve and there was you know, and there was karaoke and there was drinking and there was gambling. And, you know, my, my five-year-old daughter was like, she won bingo. And so she got money and, you know, it was like, uh, it was, uh, it's just, you know, it reminds you, uh, where you come from and it reminds you how valuable that is. And it's, I know it's silly to think that, you know, a collection of songs sung by Linda Ronstadt does that to me. But uh, I listen to the album now and I'm sad because yeah. it brings me back to that place. And I mean, it's, but it's more than that. You know, it's more than just an album of songs. I mean, you know, for her, yeah. it's her family tradition and it's, you know, it's your family tradition as well. I, I don't think that's anything to be sneezed at. Yeah. It, it, you know, I need, I, I know that, you know, I'm not, uh, this isn't, you know, this isn't an, a, a singular kind of experience. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of people have these things that kind of connect them to their families. It's just, you know, I'll never, uh, I'll never, uh, I'll always have this and right. that will always, you know, it'll always make me happy. And, uh, I will always sing along poorly uh, in my, I'll listen to it in my car and I will sing along and I don't give a fuck who hears because, uh, you know, that's, it makes my grandma smile. I think that's all that we can ask for, for music. I think that's the perfect place to end this. Um, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Um, we will be back with you, uh, in a couple of weeks. And until then, may all your montages play to sunlight. Thank you for listening to My Life as a Montage. I've been Keith Campbell, joined by Ian Shaker here. Our intro and interstitial music has been Funny Animals by Crowander. It was found on freenewsdarkguy.org and is being used under Creative Commons. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.